We're talking about friendship today, and we're in this series called Foolproof. We're looking at Proverbs, which were written about 3,000 years ago by a guy named Solomon. He sort of takes these notes, these little axioms. Hey, this is what I'm observing about life. And this guy was considered the wisest man who ever lived, and he writes these things down. And the really cool thing about what he wrote was that 3,000 years ago they made sense, and they still make sense today, 3,000 years later. It's kind of remarkable, honestly, that something that ancient still makes sense. So today we're going to talk about friendship, and I wanted to start with a story about Jackie Robinson. You all probably know the story of Robinson. He was the first African-American player in the major leagues in baseball, and uh, it was 1947, um, a lot of racial dissension uh, in the time and, and animosity, and everywhere he played, he was jeered and he was yelled at. Just lots of horrible things happened to him. And even in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he didn't always get a pass. In fact, one day he made an error at second base and his own home fans were jeering him. And in this famous uh, act that you've probably seen depicted on television before. This guy named Pee Wee Reese from Louisville, Kentucky, was the shortstop on the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers at the time, goes over while everyone's yelling at uh, Jackie Robinson and put, put his arm around him, put his arm on his shoulder, and just stood there kind of in a, a show of solidarity. And Robinson would later say that that act of someone putting his arm on his shoulder and saying, I'm, we're a team, probably saved his career because it was getting too much for him just emotionally to deal with that constant pressure of the fans. And we say to ourselves, wow, uh, it's great to have a friend like that, or I wish I had a friend like that. But today we're going to ask the question, how can I be a friend like that? I want to be the guy that stands up with someone even when everyone else is kicking them down and putting them down. And so we're going to talk about how... What does it look like to be the kind of friend that God wants us to be? Because loneliness is rampant in our society. Social distancing hasn't helped that because now we have to stay away from one another. And, um, and then with social media, we can have relationships with people and never really know them well. It's a different era than it was even when we grew up. And so uh, we're going to talk about that just a little bit. How, do, how, how, do we, how can we be the kind of friend that God wants us to be? Jesus said this. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. If you want to know if you really have good friends, this is the litmus test. You kind of do this. Figure out who comes to mind when we raise this question. If you were out at night late, let's say 12, 1 o'clock at night, uh, that's not me, but it might be you. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you're out 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at night, 2 o'clock at night, and your car breaks down, who do you call? Because those are your real friends, those people that you can call and you can wake up. You could call me, but I'm not going to answer. Uh, so, uh, but who do you call? I mean, who do you call at, uh, at, at 2 o'clock in the morning because... Those are your real friends. Or when you're ready to move, who comes and helps you pack and load the truck? Those are the kind of things when in the Rolodex of your mind, you're going to go through and you're going to go, oh, I would, I'd call this guy, I'd call this person, I'd call this girl. Th- these are my real, true friends. And everybody needs friends. They, we just do. We are wired for friendship. In fact, having friends is part, a part of God's plan for every life. I, think about this. I don't know if you ever thought about it before. 
In the book of Genesis, we read that God creates this perfect place. It's perfect. It's the Garden of Eden. Everything's perfect. Food's perfect. The environment's perfect. It's just perfect. And he creates a guy. His name is Adam. And he puts him in the garden. And he says, I need you to manage the garden. And after a while, God says, the first thing he ever says, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, the environment was perfect. Even in a perfect environment, it's not good for man to be alone. God's plan for our lives has always been to have friends. You see it in Scripture all the time. David had Jonathan. Jesus had the disciples. And then he had kind of an inner circle of friends. Peter, James, and his best friend was John. Paul had Silas. Bert had Ernie. Uh, you know, uh, Gilligan had Skipper. I mean, uh, we see this over and over in Scripture. We need friends. Now, growing up, my dad used to quote to me. I mean, he quoted this to me at least once a week. Bad company corrupts good character. Over and over and over. If I ever get a tattoo, it's going to say, bad company corrupts good character. And what daddy was saying is, watch out, figure out who you're running with, because who you're running with is where you end up. It's, it's, it was very wise. And Proverbs said the same thing a long time ago. A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the friends he chooses. That's really important. Uh, notice the word chooses. We choose. It's my choice who I hang out with. And God cares about who I hang out with. When my girls were running with people, we wanted to know about them. Hey, tell us about your friends. Who, who are your friends? We do that with Elise right now. Tell us about your friends. Who are your friends? What do they do? And, and we keep tabs because we know this is true. Who you really are is shown by the friends that you keep. Or it's who you're going to become. You run with the wrong crowd, the wrong crowd will take you the wrong direction. That's just how it works. And God cares about who your friends are because He cares about you. So, I want to be the kind of person that attracts true friends. So how can I be a true friend? I'm like a magnet, right? And so I want to make sure I attract true friends. And so I want to be a true friend. So what does it take to be a true friend. We're going to look at six things today. We'll do them pretty fast. First one is I have to be committed. A man of many companions, it says in Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What he's saying here is choose quality over quantity. We live in a world where you can have a whole lot of friends. If you get on Facebook, have you ever been friended by somebody on Facebook that you don't have any idea who they are? Because I do that sometimes. And, and I've lived in a lot of places. We lived in Michigan and New Mexico and Kentucky. And, and so I'll get friend requests, and I'll look and see if I know them. A lot of times it's like I have no connection. I just delete those people. I don't know who they are. But sometimes it's like you've got three mutual friends. Like, oh, okay, well, let me look at the mutual friends. The three mutual friends are people I, don't, I can't remember who they are. That's A lot of that's old age, by the way. It's like I don't even know who they are. Look... You can have this, that's a level of friendship. Or, I don't know if you call it friendship, it's a level of something. Then there's kind of a next level. It's, it's acquaintances. People that you, you kind of know. These are people you know. You're friendly to them. I, I've got acquaintances in my cul-de-sac where I live. There are five or six houses. I know every one of them. I speak to every one of them. When I see them out, we have conversations. We're friendly. Well, I wouldn't call us friends. I guess... 
Uh, there's one guy across the street I borrow tools from. If you borrow a tool from a guy, he's your friend. I guess, I don't know, you know. So uh, there, I've got maybe one friend, but we're friendly. Uh, when Miriam and I, I'm, I'm El Presidente, you know, of the, of the, of the Homeowners Association. So I've got to be friendly to people. So I'm walking down the road, and I know, I know people, and we talk, and, and I'm friendly to all of them, but I, I wouldn't consider any of them friends, except maybe my neighbor, that one neighbor that I borrow stuff from. So... You, there's kind of Facebook friends, and then there's acquaintances. Maybe these are people that uh, your kid and their kid are on the same team, and you talk to them at games. I've got some of those friends. Uh, we, we sit in the stands together, at least we used to. I don't know what we're going to do this year. Uh, but we used to sit in the stands together, and we would talk about the game, or we'd talk about the referees. That's always fun. And, uh, you know, we, we're friendly. I'm not, I'm not sure we're friends, but we're friendly. And, and then there's a different level. There's that, I got a genuine friend who will help me level. And, and that's kind of, that's what he's talking about here. This friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's, there are people in your life that, they're not your friend because you're popular or because you live close. They choose to be your friend. Another translation of this is, uh, there are friends who are more loyal even than family. There, there are people who will hang in there with you. I talk about my buddy Mike Wilson a lot of times. We did some crazy stuff growing up. Mike uh, still lives back home in Danville, Kentucky, or near Danville, and uh, we've been friends. I mean, we grew up together, same neighborhood. We rode bikes and played basketball and softball. I've known Mike all my life. In fact, I can't remember ever not knowing Mike. And he's one of those friends, real friends. When my dad died 18 years ago, we lived in New Mexico. You know, my my people are in Danville, Kentucky, and it's a long way, and we weren't going to drive. We had three little daughters at the time, and we got a bereavement fare, which was still incredibly expensive. We flew from Albuquerque to Nashville. That was as close as we could get uh, and afford, and I needed somebody to pick me up, and I called Mike because you got to have friends like this, and I said, Mike, can you come get us? He, he took a day off from work. He drove down to Nashville. It's about a couple hours away from where we live. He waited for us. He picked us up. He brought us home. That's what I'm talking about here. Those friends that are loyal to you. Everybody needs some loyalty in their life. And you need to be a loyal friend. So the first one is commitment. The second uh, kind of uh, mark of a true friend is how, uh, being considerate. Kindness makes a man attractive. Kindness makes a man attractive. Um, if you really want to know who your friends are, uh, make a mistake. Because real friends don't kick you when you're down. They don't say, I told you so, or you shouldn't have. I love this next verse. I love it. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. You, you want to harp on something? That'll separate a friendship. This, this, is, this is a great verse. Uh, love prospers. When a fault is forgiven, your, your friends, they're good forgetters. They're good forgivers. <laughs> you know, they're, they're willing to uh, overlook your mistakes. That's what good, true friends do. I, I read a funny little story about two brothers. They're kind of little kids, and they were, after supper, they were playing, and, and the younger one hit the older one with a stick. You know, kind of, they were just playing. It's boys. And... He didn't like it. That older brother didn't like it. And so they were kind of fighting. They were just fighting, fighting, fighting. They fought all that night, and they were going to bed, and they were still fighting. And the mom said, now, boys, just for a second, just think. You've not forgiven each other. 
How would you feel if your brother dies at night and you didn't have a chance to forgive him? It would be horrible. You'd have to live with yourself the rest of your life. And so the older brother said, okay, I'm going to forgive him tonight, but if he's alive in the morning, he better watch out. And, and that's what we have a tendency to, to say, you know, I'm going to forgive you now, but, but, but not long term. Part of what we have to do is be considerate. We have to overlook our friend's faults. The third thing, and this is really important, is to be confidential. A gossip, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Alcoholics Anonymous has been great at helping folks overcome addiction to alcohol. Um, it's, it was established decades ago. In fact, there's been lots of research since, and there's been new medications and all those things, and really, I'm not sure anything works better than AA that was invented long before those other processes came about. And the, the power of Alcoholics Anonymous is the group and the confidentiality and an understanding that this is a safe place for me to communicate with somebody my struggle. I, I can be safe here because we all struggle the same way. That, that's the beauty of this. Uh, there's some research done in 2009 of those suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder. Really serious, by the way. That's a really serious thing. Post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2009, they did this study, and they found that 88% of those who participated in group therapy no longer exhibited symptoms. There is power in a, a shared struggle and a, a place where you can share, you can, a safe place to share your struggles with someone really important to have a friend that you can tell the truth to, you can confess to, you can say this is who I am and this is my struggle. You all probably know that old preacher story about the three preachers, they're out fishing, they're not catching anything and they're all from different congregations, you know, three preacher guys and, and they, just to kill time one of them says, well, why don't we just share our, our, our kind of our darkest struggle, our, our deepest sin, you know, kind of that sin that no, nobody tells anybody about first one said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I kind of have a struggle with greed. Everything I see is everything I want. You know, if you got it, I want it. I, I, love, I love stuff. I want stuff. I can't get my mind off of stuff. I want more stuff. And they sat there, and the second one said, I, my, my, my problem's lust. Every uh, beautiful woman that comes around, I, I can't get her off my mind. I just struggle. I struggle with lust. It's horrible. The third one says, mine's gossip, and I can't wait to get to shore. Uh, so uh, the whole notion of a gossip betrays a confidence. We have to realize that the quickest way to kill a friendship is to talk behind somebody's back. So the first one, we've got to be committed. We have to be considerate. We have to be confidential. But you also got to be candid. We need people in our lives that will tell us the truth. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And we live in an era where people won't tell you the truth because they're afraid of hurting your feelings. And everybody is delicate. Oh my word, we're, we're so delicate we can't take the truth. A true friend will tell you the truth even if it's painful because they care about you. They're not telling you to hurt you, they're telling you to help you. This is what a true friend will do. Look at this verse. Giving an honest answer is a sign of true friendship. Do you have anybody in your life that will tell you the truth? I mean, we need those people. Um, I use this illustration first service. Miriam attends the first service nearly every week. She, she hardly ever misses. 
And after the service, she'll come give me a critique because I ask her to. Tell me how I do. Tell me how I did. And she'll come up to me and she'll say, this was good, this was good, this was good. Most of the time it's good. Occasionally she'll say, occasionally she'll say you know, you really should do something here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I had read a verse too fast. Understand the, con- the, the notion around preaching. A lot of that, I've got content. And if I know something's coming up that I really want to get to, I have a tendency of rushing to get to it. Wow, I can't wait to tell that story. I can't wait to make that point. And if I'm not careful, I'll rush. And this one Sunday, I'd rush. I'd rush through it. And she said, you got to really slow down on that verse. you got to slow down because we, we missed it. And you went too fast. Now, did she tell me that to hurt me? No, it didn't, didn't hurt me. In fact, it helps me. I've got to know this or I can't get better. Chris does that sometimes. He'll tell me. The other day, I read a verse wrong. I was using the wrong word. And Chris came and told me. I, I mean, I appreciate somebody telling me. I don't want to look like an idiot. Look, if you got toilet paper on your shoe and you're walking around, you want somebody to tell you, right? I mean, that's a friend. They, they tell you, hey, man, you got toilet paper hanging on your shoe. That's what you need somebody to tell you the truth. We all need those kinds of friends. I, I, there's some research. There's a guy... Man, I cannot t- say this guy's last name. Uh, he wrote an article for the Chronicle of Higher Education. I'll, I'll read you his last name. I'll give you the letters. You want, you're not going to be able to pronounce it either. His name is William D-E-R-E-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z. We're going to call him Dr. D. Uh, you know, that's who we're going to call him. But he, he did this research around Facebook friends. And this is what he found. He says, Facebook, uh, not Facebook, friendship is devolving from a relationship to a feeling. And this is what he writes. We've ceased to believe that a friend's highest purpose is to summon us to the good by offering moral advice and correction. We've ceased to help each other, is what he's saying. We practice now instead the non-judgmental friendship of unconditional acceptance and support. He is lamenting this, that we need people in our lives that will tell us the truth. And it... And not, they're not gleeful about it, but we, they know we need it. Look, we need to help each other. We really, really do. Now, there are rules about this, or, there are, or at least let me give you some suggestions around correction. First, if you're going to be candid, compliment in public, correct in private. Miriam would never yell to me during a sermon, uh, slow down. She'd never do that, because that's just not, what, I mean, she, well, that's not our relationship. And she waited, and she told me it. Uh, in, in public, we compliment. In private, we correct. That's how we do it. The second thing is, don't correct them when they're not ready. If, if a guy's down in the dumps or if somebody's down in the dumps and they're, they're in this low period in their lives, that's not the time to give them constructive criticism. It's just not. You have to pick your, your, your moments. You have to pick your moment. Now, for, for Miriam and me, I'll kind of continue this illustration. She knows I've got another sermon coming up, and if I want to get it right, I've got, this is the moment. She's got to tell me now. doesn't hurt my feelings. We have a relationship because of number three. Uh, we, don't cor- we don't correct unless we've proven that we can be corrected. And so she can offer constructive criticism because I, hopefully I've shown her I can take it. Um, don't offer it unless you can take it. There was a guy, I had a guy in my church in, in New Mexico, first, uh, first time I lived in New Mexico, if he was in the service, I knew without exception every time he attended a service, after the service, he was going to come up to me and give me some critique. something. Now, we didn't have that kind of relationship. And honestly, um, 
I didn't want to hear it from him anyway, because it was always kind of condescending. Well, you could have said, well, I could have said a lot of things, but I didn't. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And without exception, every week it was that. So a couple of times when he started walking toward me, I was thinking to myself, what can I critique of his? You know, <laughs> well, what a, I don't like his shoes. You know, you know what, what can I say? And so he, one time he said, hey, this is, you, you could have you used this illustration. It's like, well, so I said, well, I thought about that, but that didn't seem to make the point that I was trying to make. And um, have you thought about what I was trying to do? He didn't like that because he didn't, we didn't have the three. He, he didn't show me he could take criticism. He just showed me he could give criticism. With Miriam and me, I know she loves me and she critiques me and she tells me this because she loves me and she wants me to be as good as I can be. I can take that. Um, for somebody that just thinks they know more than you, that's not the same thing. And so we need people in our lives that can help us, that can, can be candid with us. Everybody needs it. The, the fifth thing is this. Be constructive with those. As iron sharpens iron, so, so a friend sharpens a friend. This is a, obviously a... a a knife-making metaphor, and, and the iron, one iron sharpens the other iron, and everybody seems to be fragile today. We can't be candid, and we can't sharpen one another. And part of what we have to do, we've got to learn to build each other up. We really do have to learn to build each other up. Now, I am a um, home improvement show junkie. I, I watch them all. Uh, I've watched them all. I've seen them all. I know how to do everything because uh, I've seen it on television and it really only takes five minutes to you know, build a wall, five minutes. I mean, really, it doesn't take very long. I love it. I watch these shows. I love these shows. Um, but now, there are three things I, I've noticed that are very common in these shows. By the way, this is a picture of me taking down a wall. Uh, number one, it's always going to take longer than they expect. Every time. It's like, uh, we've set a three-month deadline, and, this, and then you start giggling, because it's like, it's going to take a longer three months. Our budget is going to be $6. They always say stuff like that, and just like, that's eh, going to cost more. It's always going to take longer, and it's always going to cost more. And the third thing, we're going to talk about this just for a second. Demolition is easier than building. Everybody loves Demo Day. You want to know why? Because Demo's fun. It takes no talent to demolish, uh, to demolish something. The only goal in demolition is basically not to get hurt or not to hurt somebody else. That's all you got to do. Because to take out a wall, you get a big sledgehammer, get a sawzall, you can do it. Anybody can demolish something. It, it doesn't take any practice. It doesn't take any skill to knock down a wall. Really, anybody can do it. it it's easy. And that's applicable in life as well. Because anybody can tear another person down. It's easy. You want to know why? Because we all have flaws. We all have flaws. We're entering election season. We've got two guys who are deeply flawed. You want to know what? So are we. And they're going to point out each other's flaws. And it gets old, and I get sick of it, just to be honest with you. Because that's easy. It is easy to point out another person's flaws. We can do it all day long. You can do me. I can do you. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's everywhere. It's easy to tear somebody down. Just like it's easy to tear a wall down. It takes no skill. You want to take skill? It takes skill to build something, to build somebody up. It takes skill to lay a, a floor. I've, done, I've tried that before, you know, like to lay tile. That's hard. 
It's really difficult. I got started one time and I had to quit because I just didn't know what I was doing. It takes some effort to put a backsplash up. It takes some skill to uh, build a wall and frame it in right and wire it. That takes some effort. That takes some skill. Not everybody can do that. To plumb a, a, a toilet, that takes some effort. takes some skill. You've got to know what you're doing. To build something takes skill. It takes effort. It's difficult. Anybody can tear something down. Anybody can tear somebody down. No skill required. When, when this text is talking about iron sharpening iron, what it's saying is, look, it takes effort. Maybe you see an offense and you overlook it. Or they make a mistake and you come alongside them and you, you go through the mistake with them and then you offer some constructive, hey, why don't we try this? I am right now in the middle of a conversation with, with a guy who has made some mistakes and he's really kind of he's struggling because of those mistakes that he's made. And he's got, fortunately for him, he's got some friends and I'm one of them and we're kind of walking through it with him. And, you know, you, when, when you mess up and you get caught messing up, then it's like, oh, I'm the worst guy in the world and you have to keep reminding, no, no, no. Time will help and the Lord has a purpose for all these things. You have to be reminded of that. We need people in our lives that will walk through with us and build us up when we're down. It's really hard. It's difficult. You know what's easy? It's kicking somebody to the curb. They mess up, you just kick them to the curb. I'm not going to deal with that anymore. That's easy. Kicking somebody to the curb is easy. Tearing them down, easy. To, to be the person that builds them up, that's hard. That's what true friends do. The last thing is this. Be consistent. A friend loves at all times. At all times. Not just when things are going well. Not just uh, when it's convenient. Uh, a real friend, a true friend, loves when it's inconvenient and when it costs them something and when you don't deserve it. That's what a true friend does. I, I want to tell you a story about a marriage you may have never heard of, but it, it was powerful. There's a guy named Martin Luther. Have you ever heard of him? He was the guy that sort of started the Reformation, and this was in the 1500s, and he was a, a Catholic priest, and he began to study the Scriptures, and he noticed that what the church was teaching he didn't agree with because it didn't line up with Scripture. And one of the things he really took issue with was the idea that uh, nuns and priests and monks uh, had to live celibate lives, that they couldn't marry. He didn't agree with that. He didn't find it in Scripture. And so he began to talk about it. He wrote, he wrote a little pamphlet called On Monastic Vows, and he encouraged the monks and the nuns and the priests to put off the vow of celibacy. Just put that away. Uh, marry for the glory of God, he says. Well, there were, some, there were these 12 nuns in a convent, and they read this, and they believed it, and they put off their vow of celibacy, except they couldn't leave the convent. The, the church wouldn't let them. They kind of had them locked in. And so... <laughs> so Luther uh, arranged for them to have a jailbreak from the convent. He smuggled out 12 nuns in barrels. Isn't that a great story? Uh, he smuggled, this is all true, by the way. He smuggled out these 12 nuns in barrels. Now, now the, now the next uh, kind of phase in the plan is we've got to find these ladies' husbands. And so they did. They found 11 of the 12 women husbands. <laughs> I don't know if you're good with math. How many does that leave without a husband? One. It had one uh, left without a husband. So she comes up. Her name was uh, Catherine von Bora. 
She goes up to Luther and she basically has this conversation. Hey, buddy, you got me into this. Find me a husband or marry me yourself. That was, that was what she said. You, you got me into this, so you're obliged to find me a husband or marry me yourself. Now, understand, she was in her 20s. He's 42. He's 42 and has never, um, uh, never been married. They made a movie about that, 40-year-old. Anyway, uh, he, here he is, and he's, he's like, he's happily single, but he, she kind of talks him into it. She kind of shames him into marrying her. And this is beautiful. When asked why he married her, this was what Luther said. I'll quote. My marriage will please my father, rile up the Pope, cause the angels to laugh, and the devil to weep. Never on a Hallmark card ever. I mean, that's right, really. That's the the most non-romantic thing of all time. I'm basically going to, you know, I'm going to smite the Pope, uh, and I'm going to marry this gal. Uh, She was evidently difficult to find a husband for. She was maybe, she was a little feisty and kind of spoke her mind. and So he marries her. Like, okay, I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to marry you. They, they married, and what's really interesting is they fall in love. They didn't fall in love and got married. They actually did it the other way around. But, but the commitment that they made to one another was enough. I have kind of paintings of them if you want to see. Uh, you know why he's single. Uh, anyway, um, anyway, so they, they get married. And then they write these letters. The way we know about the relationship is they have these letters. And these letters are really funny. And, and they're kind of they, sassy with one another. And it's just really kind of cool that this relationship grows. They have six kids together. And, and at the end of his life, um, Luther writes about, he called her Katie. He writes about Katie that she is the greatest, the greatest gift of grace a man could ever have. See, commitment is about practicing what you preach. It's about living together in a way that um, we're going to build one another up. The, the six marks are commitment and consideration and confidentiality and being candid and constructive and consistent. And here's what I noticed when I started looking at these. That's exactly what Jesus is for us. You don't have to doubt His commitment. I mean, you, you see His commitment on the cross, If you ever doubted the commitment of Christ to you, you don't have to look very far. And he is considerate. He doesn't kick us to the curb when we're down. In fact, he is extremely forgiving. He's confidential. You can tell him anything. He is candid. In fact, he said that he is truth. And then he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He understands that concept. And he's constructive. He wants us to be better. He wants us to grow. He wants us to develop as friends and as people. And he is consistent. There's a scripture in 1 Timothy that says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He's always the same. So I want us to end with this verse from Romans. It's not in Proverbs, but it's a good one. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And you know people, and you might be people who have said, I... God wouldn't have anything to do with me. Well, it's not true. This verse says that we can be a friend of God's. I I prepared this message probably three or four weeks ago, and I began to think through, okay, what does that mean? I began to pray, Lord, I want to be a better friend of yours. Help me know how to be your friend. Show me how we can develop our friendship. So today, maybe for you, it's like, okay, I've never thought about it that way, but 
I want to be a great friend. I want to be a true friend. Um, maybe I need to learn how to be, be a true friend with Jesus first. Develop that relationship. I want to be the kind of friend that people want to be friends with. And, and so you, you pray that prayer. Maybe you've never become a friend of God's, and you can through Jesus. That's what the verse says. We're, we're separate. Sin separates us from God. Jesus brings us together. He's the bridge. And so if you're not there, if you've never been there, I'd love to tell you about it. Listen, it's just this easy. Uh, you pray, Lord, I want to be your friend. I know sin's kind of keeping me from that. Could you forgive that sin for me? And could you make me your friend? That's a pretty easy prayer to pray. And the Lord wants us to pray that prayer because He wants us to be His friend. That's what He's called us to. The reason Jesus came, according to this scripture, is so that we can become, we can be made friends of God. That's what He wants for us. The best friend you'll ever have is Jesus because He's all those things. He's consistent and he's, He'll tell us the truth and he's, you know, He does all the things that we need a friend to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for Jesus and because of him we have, can have a relationship with you, a friendship relationship. Lord, we love you so much. We want to serve you well. Help us to do that. Help us to be the kind of friend that, that sticks closer than a brother, that walks in when everybody else is walking out, that offers forgiveness and support and encouragement. Help us to be builders up and not tearers down. We ask this humbly, humbly, humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.